0: Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Well, hey, good morning. As we start off, let's celebrate and thank the Lord for our team today. We did a great job, man, every week leading us, leading us in and out, worship and seeing the truth of God's word. And, uh, man, I love, I love our team and, and the dedication they have. We're grateful uh, that you are here. Welcome to Connect Church if you're visiting with us, we are so honored that you are here as we continue every Sunday. And here's our goal and our aim. And if you've been here a while, you hear say this every Sunday, but it's so true. Just together, we want to make much of Jesus. We, we want to work every Sunday and throughout every day to connect everyone. With the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ and we are so glad uh, that you are here and join us today I, I want to say this as we start off we uh my family and I took a couple days went camping and man, had a great time we got back home yesterday and my my five-year-old son minute, started complaining of an earache and so Aaron took him to urgent care and uh, and so he called me last night and he said after he left urgent care he's like, hey dad so what's up, buddy? He goes, I got bad news for you. <laughs> it's a five year old. <laughs> like, what five year old has bad news? I got bad news, dad. What's up, buddy? I've got strep throat. I was like, oh, man, buddy. I, I hate that. It reminded me uh, when he was born five years ago, uh, his three older sisters, who were just toddlers at the time, Man, I love this. We we were at the hospital, and my in-laws, Eric and Dana, I were watching the kids for us as Aaron gave birth to Bennett. Well, they they brought the three girls up to the hospital room to see their baby brother for the first time. It ain't a sweet moment. Well, when the girls got in the room, we noticed right away they're all sick. Like they're not just a little sick. Like, they're really sick. Like, all of them had something that was different, but all of them were sick. We're like, we can't get them really close to the baby, right? And, and I looked at Erin, and she's laying in the hospital bed just giving birth. I was like, babe, what do you want me to do? And she's like, well, they have to go to the doctor. And in my mind, I went, like, how are you going to take them to the doctor? <laughs> like, you just had a baby. I mean, whatever. And, uh, and she's like, no, you're going to have to take them to the doctor. I said, like, you're kidding me. So I got them all in the van, and, man, it was all of them were crying. They were snotting everywhere. It's just, man, a bad moment. So I get into the doctor, and everybody was so gracious and felt so bad for me that they took us right back into a room and had my three daughters there, and, and, and one of them got diagnosed with one thing, and the other had this other viral infection. And, and then the doctor looked at Chloe, my middle, blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl, and, and the, she said, you know what? I think she's got something a little different from everybody else. I said, okay. She goes, I think she may have strep throat. I said, okay. She goes, I'm going to send my nurse back in, and we're going to test for that. I said, okay. Well, the doctor leaves, and Chloe looks at me. I mean, she was what? She was four years all the time. She goes, Dad, do you think I have shrimp throat? And I was like, <laughs> I don't think you have that one. Oh, no, no, not that one. I said, but they're going to come in and test for that. And, and she says, well, Daddy, what is that? what are they going to do? And I said, well, uh, and this is where, as a parent, of course, you lie to your kid. I said, so they're going to come in, and you're going to open your mouth, and they're just going to look in your mouth. Because I knew if I told them what really was going to happen, she'd leave. And, and, so, and so the doctor comes back in, I'll never forget her face. She's sitting on my lap. I said, okay, Chloe, they're going to test you for shrimp throat now, okay? So I need you to open your mouth as wide as you can. And then y'all know what happened, don't you? They took that swab and they touched the back of her throat and they just went around. And her little face, she went, you know, she did the gagging thing. I was like, this, this is my daughter. And, and you know what? She was diagnosed with shrimp throat that day. And, um, but you know what? As shocking as that swab was to Chloe on that day, um, as a pastor, there's something even more shocking to me today. And that is that that every Sunday I preach, and as pastors preach across pulpits all throughout America, that there are many who claim to be in Christ, and yet the reality of their life is they are trusting in anything and everything but Jesus to save them. People who claim they're a Christian and a Christ follower, and yet they're trusting in anything and everything but Jesus to save them. We're going to flesh that out a little bit in the text today. So today, as we conclude John chapter 8, and by the way, I love this chapter. I love the truth that is contained within and the power of Jesus' words at work. You know, at the beginning of the chapter, we saw Jesus pass... On condemnation for a woman who was caught in adultery, in John 8:12 we see Jesus make an amazing declaration, "I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life." Later on, in verse 32, we see there's a clarification made because Jesus points the crowd to the fact that His words were the source of truth, and He was a source of freedom. Here at the end of the chapter, we see a confrontation begin to take place. A confrontation between Jesus and those who would reject him, reject his teaching, and reject truth. This confrontation also confronts for us a truth that I want to share today. The reality of a lost church member. The reality of a lost church member. Billy Graham must not have been eating his Wheaties this day, but on live broadcast television once said this, 85% of church attend- attendees are on their way to hell. I begin to think, man, come on, Billy. That's a little harsh, isn't it? And then I hear of a pastor, W.A. Criswell, says this, I would be surprised to see even 25% of my church members in heaven. Now, now, now I want you to imagine with me, you're sitting in his church on that Sunday. All right? Look around the people around you. Only one or two of you from the row are making it, right? That is, look, that's a little harsh. You mad, bro? What's going on here? You say something like that. Well, as pastor Connect Church, I, I want you to hear me. I do believe that we fare much better Now, I've read hundreds of your testimonies as you've joined Connect Church, and I know of your love for Jesus. And simply put, I don't know the stats overall. I don't know which souls in this room might be lost. But I do know this, that a person sitting in our church or any church today, they can be lost and living their life apart from Christ and not know it and think that they're okay. And so as we approach this text today, I owe it to the lost church member, perhaps to you, to preach the gospel in hopes, in hopes that you will come to faith and trust in Jesus. After the first service this morning, I had a man in his 60s come up to me. He had tears in his eyes. He's visiting from out of town. What you guys don't know is probably 90 to 95% of our, our attendance on Sunday morning is Severeville or area residents. But we do have a good 5 to 10% of people um, who visit from out of town and they'll research churches and they'll show up. And that was his case. And he came up to me with tears in his eyes. He said, Anthony, I want you to know, Pastor Anthony, I want you to know that I'm one of those 75%. I said, What do you mean? He goes, I'm lost. I said, really? He's crying. I said, buddy, what's your greatest hurdle? He said, obeying Christ and following Jesus. I'm close. It's just not there yet. And I I pleaded with him, and I shared the gospel with him one last time before I sent him out the door. And so just in case you think maybe we're off on these stats some, man, I met one of them this morning. In fact, you know what? Let's just, can we pray for him right now? Let's just, let's, I, don't, I don't remember his name. Let's pray for him. Father, I, I lift up to you this man who today, not by coincidence, but by divine appointment, sat in this room. And God, I could see it all over him, how you're moving in his heart. And I just pray, even as he drives home today, that Lord, that you would sway upon his heart and press upon his heart. That today, he would place his faith and trust in you, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In our text today, we are still in the temple courts with Jesus. Candelabras have yet to be extinguished and still shine bright. We are still celebrating the feast of Tabernacles with Jesus, who is the light of the world. He's still speaking to the crowd, and you'll remember this from last week that many had believed. Even as he spoke. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. By the way, that was that man's hang-up. That part right there. You see, we find ourselves last week walking through this text, and we came to this realization that abiding in Jesus, in his words, is not only the source of truth, but it is the source of freedom. Uh, so this past week, I had a dear pastor friend of mine who, who was in the hospital, and so I got up really early one morning and, and, and I drove to the hospital to be with him in surgery and, and just to be there for him. And on the way home, I was driving down the interstate, and I saw this incredibly beautiful sight. Um, I don't know if y'all seen this yet L-407. Uh, uh, man, man, my family loves Buckies. I know there's some haters out there. There's more tra- uh, We love Buckies. And now we have one in our backyard. We've not been yet. And so I called Aaron and said, Hey, babe, listen, I'm low on gas. I'm low on sugar. Can I stop by Bucky's? And, and I know we haven't got, I'm going to scope it out, and make sure it's safe, right? And then we'll all come to Bucky's. And so she said, Yes. So I, I pulled in and, and I, I got my gas and, and I went in. And, and you know how when you walk in the door of Bucky, everybody's like, Welcome to Bucky's. You know, everybody who's been behind the cash registers, there's 60 of them. And they're yelling, Welcome to Bucky's. And I hear somebody go, Welcome to Bucky's, Pastor Anthony. I was like, yes. Man, salt and light. Here, Bucky's. And so I waved at a precious sister in Christ. She may be in here in the service. I can't see everybody because of the lights. And so I went in. And you know, Bucky's is the only place where you can pay like 70 bucks for gas and then $120 for snacks. Well, I had my cart. I was, I was ready to go. And, and so I wanted to make sure I got in her line. And, and, and when I got into her line, this is what she said to me. The first thing she said: hey, Pastor Anthony. I want you to know that I've been abiding in Jesus this week with the biggest smile on her face. And I'm going to tell you, golly, it just made my day. I mean, it just, it absolutely, I was just like, man. Sometimes, I I don't know how many sermons y'all have ever preached, but sometimes you wonder, man, does it ever hit home? And then you go to Bucky's. (laughs) And you realize, maybe, just maybe, God, God's moving I got to thinking about what she said. And and we talked last week about abiding in Jesus really comes in two parts. Part one is opening the word of God and unleashing it in our everyday by, by reading it, by studying it, by memorizing it, by meditating on it. Oh, but the importance of grabbing hold of part two of abiding, and that's just not opening the word, but obeying The word of God. James 1.22 reminds us that we're not just hearers and readers and memorizers and meditators of God's word. But we are doers. We are obeyers of God's word. That freedom and truth are both found in abiding in Jesus' words. But I'm going to tell you something. For many in the crowd in John chapter 8. And freedom is not something that they have on their radar. Watch this kind of unfold here in verse 33. And they answered him. We are offsprings of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. You know what they're saying? How dare you? How is it that you say you'll become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Can we stop here for a moment? The sin that we flirt with, the sin that we mess around with, the sin that we make a pet and keep around, the sin that we belittle on the justice scales of everybody else's sin, that we think is not a big sin, every bit of our sin makes us a slave to it. Every bit of it. And Jesus begins to teach them something here. The slave does not remain in the house forever. Oh, but listen, here's the difference the son does. So if the son sets you free, you will be free Indeed. Hey, I want you to notice what they didn't say to Jesus. that They didn't say, hey, Jesus, uh, we love God, we walk with God, we serve God, we obey God, therefore we've never been enslaved to anyone. It's not what they said. They simply say because we were born in the right family, descended from Abraham, because his DNA is in us we are free when in reality they were slaves to their sin and they were dying in their sin. Let me give you some background. Jewish people for centuries had bought into the lie that they had hit the jackpot based solely on being born into the family tree of Abraham. Therefore, they were automatically children of God. You know what I like in that sentiment to? Man, I was born in America. I'm saved and I'm free. I was born... In the south, I'm saved, I'm free. When I was born into a Christian family, therefore I'm saved, I'm free. And so many to this day have bought into such lies where the sobering truth of the gospel is that we are all slaves to sin until by, by his grace, through faith in Jesus, he sets us free. Hey, do you know that you could be a church member and still be a slave to sin? Never set free by the Son of God? Sometimes I'll ask people in various settings, man, how is it that you know that you're saved? How do you know that you're in Christ? And here's some of the answers I'll get. Well, I prayed a prayer with my pastor. Well, I, I was baptized. Well, I belong to a church. Now, hear answers like that. And I begin to sense a problem with those types of answers. You ready? The pronouns are wrong. I prayed a prayer. I was baptized. I am a member of a church. The pronouns that matter in salvation are not I and me, but him and he. Paul said it right in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace in which you've been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one, no one can boast. Salvation is not found by saying, look at what I've done. Rather, look at what he, he has done. And by the way, church, That is the only arguments about pronouns that I care to have. When it comes to this crazy war of pronouns, (laughs) this crazy war of pronouns in our culture, I refuse to play part in a delusion that's destroying people. The pronouns I care about deal with your salvation and mine. I can imagine that that old tyrant of untruth from last week, that old devil with his tyranny of lies, whispers yet another lie to this day. You ready? I want you to hear it. You're a good person. You're fine. Certainly, you're saved. You're a spiritual person, a moral person. Certainly, you are free. Hey, you went to church. You you gave to the church. Surely, you are his. That old liar will try and convince you and me that you can go to heaven any way but through faith and following Jesus. You ready? It is a lie. It is a lie. The Jews have been deceived. They failed to realize that we are all born into sin according to Romans chapter 5, verse 12 and that they needed the Son to set them free for them to be free indeed. Jesus is telling them Hey, you're slaves, and guess what? It enraged them. And knowing their thoughts, they began devising ways to kill Jesus. And you know what's amazing? And one of the things I love most about Jesus, you know what he does? He calls them out on their thoughts. Not on their words. Not on their writings. Not on their posts on social media. Jesus calls them out on their very thoughts. In fact, he lets them in on this sobering reality. Their father was not Abraham like they claimed, nor was it even God, but their father was the devil for they were living under his lie and acting just like him. Can I tell you something? Do you know what makes me the maddest the most as a dad is when my kids act like me. <laughs> Man, you want to get in trouble in my house, you start acting like me and I will punish you. Man, these these people are just acting just like their father, Jesus tells them. In fact, this is what Jesus says about their daddy. Man, fighting words here. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I want you to remember from last week this tyrant of uh, untruth, the devil, you ready? That he lies on us, he lies to us, and he lies against us. And there's two truths that Jesus makes evident here. You have been lied to, and you are living in that lie. You know what I liken that to these days? Liar, liar, paints on fire. But even worse so, what Jesus is saying to them. That those who've been deceived are now devising a plan to, to demonize Jesus, to discredit the truth he spoke. By the way, that happens every time when someone with truth stands up and speaks. They go as far as to even say that Jesus was demon possession. You go, man, really? You're, you're going there? And we've got to ask the question, how did they get there? You'll remember from last week, the first lie the enemy told was to eat. If you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, certainly you will not die when God had said to them, oh no, you touch it, you eat it, you're gone. He spoke that lie, whispered that lie. Now, I can imagine that tyrant of untruth whispered a similar lies to the Jews as well. You ready? You were born in the right family tree. You were born into the right religion. Certainly you will not die. You know what I... I think about what that reminds me of. How about denominations today? I mean, you're, you're a Baptist. Certainly, you will not die. Hey, you're non denominational. You're Methodist. You're Presbyterian. You're a Catholic. You're Church of God, Assemblies of God. You're Pentecostal. Certainly, you will not die. And yet, tragically, sadly, this very morning, All denominations are represented in hell. Your denomination will not save you any more than being born of Abraham can save you. And so Jesus, compelled by compassion, motivated by grace, moved by his love for them, injects a painful truth into their lie, and yet at the same time, it is gospel, it is good news for those who would believe. Watch this play out here in verse 51. Very truly I tell you, whoever reads my word, no, whoever, whoever memorizes, no, that's not it either. Whoever quotes, no. Whoever obeys my word will never see death. He goes on in verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. And he saw it and was glad. And so, they, so the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. And watch what Jesus says here. I love what Jesus says to them. He said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. I don't think this happened, but I I could see Jesus with a microphone in his hand and just doing this after he said that. it's what he needed to say. And he said just that. You see, Abraham was born some 42 generations, 2,000 years before Jesus. Think of it. Jesus knew him. Because Jesus created him. And Jesus welcomed Abraham home at the ripe old age of 175 years old. And what Jesus is saying to them, I was Abraham's salvation and I am your salvation. And you know what they do? They lose it. Watch this in verse 59. At this point, they picked up stones to stone him. By the way, second time's Second time in this chapter that grown men start trying to throw rocks. Can I tell you something? I, I got a seven-year-old and a five-year-old, one a daughter, one a son, and we had to make a new rule camping this week that you can't just throw rocks because inadvertently they hit people and people's expensive RVs, right? And so, and so we, we make, you cannot throw a rock unless you ask permission because people are dying. And so here's what that's how five- and seven-year-olds act, and here we see grown men. Every chance they get in chapter 8 to throw some rocks, they do so. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away, the Bible says, from the temple grounds. J.C. Ryle once said, and I love this, he said, Never let us be guilty of sacrificing any portion of truth on the altar of peace. Hey, Jesus was not willing to sacrifice truth to appease the whining to the wants, the wishes of the crowd. He loved them enough to share the truth of the gospel with them, which begs the question today, how much do you have to hate someone to not share the truth of the gospel with them? But here's something I love about Jesus. And here's something you love about Jesus. And that is this. Jesus may make you uncomfortable with truth, but he will never comfort you with a lie. Listen to me. He will make you uncomfortable at times with truth. But he will never comfort us with the lie. And by the way, that's exactly how you and I are to love others. That's exactly how we are to approach our culture. But why kill him? Why act like five and seven-year-olds and start throwing rocks at him? Because the greatest threat to living happy in one's lie is knowing the whole truth about Jesus and where it is that you stand, where it stands between you and him. Abraham is not your source of freedom. It's not your source of salvation. I am, Jesus says. Uh, Let me ask you something. If someone were to come up to you And ask you a simple question. How is it that you know that you are in Christ? How is it that you know that you're saved? Would you answer, well, I prayed a a prayer with a pastor once. Here's my question to you. Show me anywhere in this book. Show me anywhere in this book that it says that's the answer to your salvation. Now listen to me. We understand this. A prayer in and of itself can save no one. The act of placing your faith and trust in Jesus alone does. And oftentimes we verbalize that. We vocalize that through prayer. We do it at the end of, of every service here at Connect Church. But I want you to hear me. When you stand before Jesus one day, it's going to be because more than just saying, I prayed a prayer with a pastor. Would you answer it? I was, well, I was baptized. You show me in here where it says that baptism alone can save you. How do I know I'm in Christ? Well, I went to church. Yet again, show me where it says going to church alone will save you. Because it doesn't. It doesn't say it anywhere. is where consider what Paul would say about our salvation. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. On in verse four and five. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. He said, well, Anthony, listen. I'm a good person. I'm a good guy. I'm a good girl. Listen. Surely, surely I'll make it to heaven. Surely, God won't send somebody like me to hell. This entire book shows you and me that in and of ourselves and our sinful nature, that we are not good. That there is only one who is good and it is God who sent his son Jesus not to make bad people good but to make dead people alive. To make dead people alive. So my salvation is not about how good I am. So we've got to be careful here. We've got to get the pronouns right here. It is not I or me who can save but only him, he, Jesus, can save. Acts 4.12 says salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Can I ask you something? Are you a lost church member today? If maybe you answer that question with maybe, Maybe you answer that question today like that man did with me at the end of the first service. Yes, I am. And I've got some good news for you. One author wrote this once. The the American poet Henry Longfellow could write on a sheet of paper. He could write a poem on it and make that paper worth $60,000. That is talent. John D. Rockefeller, that oil tycoon, could sign a piece of paper and make it worth millions. That is capital A seamstress can take material costing $5 and make it into clothing costing $50. That is skill. A merchant can buy a newspaper for 75 cents, put it on his calendar, and sell it for a dollar, and that is business. But God can take a worthless, sinful life, wash it, cleanse it, put his Holy Spirit within it, and use it as a shining light in a dark world. That, my friend, is salvation. Not only the promise of eternal life and a changed life, but the promise of new life that only Jesus can bring. If you're a lost church member here today, would you come to Jesus? Would you let him save you? We know the gospel, and not a one of us can save ourselves. Only Jesus can do that. Maybe you're a believer in the house. You hate messages like this. They bother you. Maybe stir up some doubt, some uncertainty, maybe even some fear in you about your own salvation. By the way, not the goal of the message, nor is it the goal of the text. I want to say this, oftentimes those fears and uncertainties and those doubts begin to stir up. And here's the reason why. Because we've gone some type of season not following Jesus as closely as we know we should. Can I I tell you the times where doubts and uncertainty and fear rise up in me? It's when I've realized that Jesus has been walking this way and I've been going this way. So what do we do with messages like these? Well, first of all, let's take a deep breath. And maybe a a quick examination. Uh, Maybe a checkup, if you will, is in order. In fact, Paul would encourage the Corinthian church in this. I thought I had the passage up here. But he would say this in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. You can write this down. He says this, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And so I wanted to share with you four questions I ask in my own walk with Jesus in times where fear or doubt or uncertainty begin to rise up and stir around inside of me. You may look at these four questions and go, those are terrible. Well, just go plant your church and preach four better ones. But here's what I've got, okay? And here's the first thing I ask myself. Number one, do I love him? No, do I really love him? Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Do I I love him? Not not do I like him a lot. Not do I prefer him. Not do I like his stuff and his music. No, no. Do I love him? Is he the most important relationship in my life? I'm going to tell you why that's hard, because I dearly love my wife. I, I dearly love my children and my family and my friends and my church family. And I dearly love you. But who I love the most is Jesus. When I think of my life, and I can't live without my wife. Listen, I I need to go in my sleep long before she ever leaves the earth, you know. I I can't ever imagine that when my kids look. But who I cannot live life without is Jesus. And here's the kicker. I don't want to live life any bit of it without him? Do I love him? Man, I love him more than anybody else. But I, I gotta, I've got to level with you. I don't always love him well. But I love him most. I don't always love him well. Like I should. Sometimes it's messy. Sometimes it's, in fact, all the times it's imperfect. And many times it's less than. And even if I don't love him well all the time, I love him most. Do I love him? Here's the second question I ask myself. Do I trust him? Meaning this, do I believe he is who he said he was? That he did what he said he did. Do I believe he is the son of God in the flesh? Do I believe he died on the cross for my sin? That he emptied the grave three days later? That I can't save myself? None of my works are good enough? That I can only be saved if Jesus saves me? Do I trust him? And church, I trust him. L- l- listen to me. And not just here, but in here and with my entire life, I trust him. I, I trust him with my marriage, and I trust him with my kids, and I, I, I trust him with, with my church family, and I, I trust him. I just trust him, and I I believe, John 3.16 says, that for God so loved the world. I read it a couple chapters ago, right? What, 20 sermons ago? For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I'm the whosoever who has believed and trusted in Him. Is it messy sometimes? Guys, listen to me. This is not predicated on perfection, but this is the the sum total of our pursuit of Him. It is messy at times, it is imperfect, and it's less than, but I'm telling you, and I trust Him. Here's the third question. You ready? Do I long for Him? So in Philippians chapter 3, Paul writes the Philippian church, and he says this, I want to know Christ. I go, wait a second, Paul. You already know Christ. You already follow Jesus. What are you talking about? And then we begin to see that he longs to know him even more. The power of his resurrection, to be like him in his suffering. And I begin to see in Paul a longing for more and more of Jesus. And, and then this is what I begin to see in my old age of 41. And that is this. The older I get, the more and more of Jesus I need and I want. The more I I walk with him, the more I want to know him. I I long to know him more and and to to read his word more and not just to read it, to obey it more, to to share the good news of who he is and and just to know him more in my life. Do I long for him? I want you to hear me. I long for more and more Jesus. And here's the last question. Do I follow him? And here's the kicker. Do I follow him? Not with just my words, but with my worship. With my, with my very life. With my obedience. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said, if any man comes after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. I'm gonna tell you something. Man, I could pick up the cross and I find myself tripping over it. It's messy. At times it's less than perfect. It's just less than in time. But I'm telling you that I have followed Jesus with my life. I I try to help my marriage following in my my kids to follow him. And my, my church family to follow. My community in the world. I, I follow Jesus. And the messy and the imperfect. And the lacking at times I follow him. And so I ask myself those questions. And yes. And yeah, it's messy, but yes. And it's, it's imperfect, but yes. And it's sometimes it's less than, but yes. I love him and I trust him and I long for him. And I follow him. and after those questions, I realize that I'm his, and he's mine. He said, "Well how does a believer get to a place where there's doubt and uncertainty and fear when you preach a message like this? I think it's pretty simple. I think we fail to take Jesus up on his promise of John 8:12, that whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but have the light. Of life, At some point, we start following other things more than Jesus. And when we do, fear and uncertainty and doubt begin to stir within us. So, quit walking in darkness and disobedience when you don't have to do. You don't have to walk in darkness and disobedience. Follow Jesus. Abide in Jesus. Obey Jesus and his word. I want to close with this as we conclude uh, John chapter 8. This incredible light of the world chapter that shines a spotlight on Jesus. You ready? I have a simple challenge for you, the believer. Among the ancient Greeks, the sport of running and racing was celebrated among the people. And for centuries it was so, it was captured on images and impressions, inscriptions, and engravings for centuries. In fact, I I found one here, and by the way, I had to add sensor bars because them Greeks used to run a little differently than we did around our neighborhood, okay? <laughs> and so I'll we'll make sure we, uh, this is family friendly, okay? Um, I want you to notice the front runner has a lit torch in his hand. You see, nowadays to win a race, you have to be the first one to cross the finish line in the least amount of time. Back then, it was not so. The person who won the race was the first one to cross the finish line in the least amount of time, but you Ready? with their torch still lit. When we reach the finish line of this life, my challenge to you believers to be found walking in the light, running in the light of the race that God has marked out for you. You ready? Holding high and holding tight to the light of the world. Anthony, how do I do that? Don't buy into the lies. Abide in Jesus. Jesus. You know what that looks like? That looks like some point this week I'm going to drive out to Bucky's. It's going to take me six hours to get in the parking lot, but I'm going to get in the parking lot. (laughs) And I'm going to go to that same sister in Christ. And you know what I have no doubt she's going to say to me? Pastor Anthony, I've been abiding in Jesus this week. You know what she's saying? Pastor, I'm walking in the light. I'm running in the light of the race that God has marked out for me. And I'm holding high, and I'm holding tight to the light of the world. And she's shining a light in the world's biggest gas station. Let's pray together, can we? As we pray, I gotta offer you an opportunity. Today you might very well be that lost church member. And uh, I don't know how many more services like this that the Lord will give you, but I know it's no coincidence that you're here today. He shaped all of history for a moment like this to save you, and so if you are here, And you can't answer really a yes to do I love him and do I trust him and do I long for him and do I follow him. You can't really say with any integrity yes on any of those fronts. Then I want you to know that right now and in this moment, he can save you. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.